Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, this is Rebecca Levy with Parenting Bites, where we talk about raising kids in the digital age. I am joined today by Amy Oztan of SelfishMom.com. Hi, Amy. Hi. And Andrea Smith, tech journalist extraordinaire. Hi, Andrea. Hey, Rebecca. <laughs> um, today, we're going to talk about a few different topics that came up this week. The first one is based on an article in Time Magazine called The Secret Language of Girls on Instagram. The second topic is going to be all about tech in schools based on the iPad debacle in um, Los Angeles and also what's been going down here in New York City. And then we're going to tackle some digital dilemmas, which come up from lots of questions we get from parents, I would say, and friends on Facebook, sort of what's coming up on the playground. And then we'll have our individual recommendations for you. So I think we jump right in and talk about this article about Instagram and girls written by Rachel Simmons in Time Magazine. It really, really went viral. Um, I this think- was so eye-opening. I, I mean, who oh, knew? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I had no me, idea. It was eye-opening. Do you want to give a brief synopsis of it? Yeah, so the article is actually great. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend finding it, The Secret Language of Girls. We'll put a link to it on our Facebook page also. It's really about how girls are using Instagram as both a slam book, I would say, a good old-fashioned slam book, but also using it for public displays of friendship and rankings of your friends, as well as wanting, you know, justification and feeling popular and a measure of popularity. All these things that girls have always done, but now digitally for everyone to see. And Instagram, because it's visual, has become the center of all of this. And it's fascinating. Um, I, of course, looked at my own daughter's Instagram feeds in preparation for this. No other reason uh, <laughs> at all. Um, I will say that Instagram, because it's so po- even though it's illegal for kids under 13 to have an Instagram account, I think there's probably very few 12-year-old girls who don't have one or 11-year-old girls or even 10-year-old girls for that matter. Most girls, I think, are stalking on Instagram and not posting. I would say the majority of the girls but it is absolutely the social app for girls. There is no doubt about it. And it is the source of so many dramas and upset girls, you know, finding out there was a sleepover. You used to just find out on Monday. Now you see it happening that you weren't included. Well, that's what that's what really stood out to me was the whole way that Instagram is being used like as a mean girls kind of thing and a revenge kind of thing to say to your friends, yeah, I'm really mad at you, and I had this sleepover, and I invited all these friends, and we had a really great time without you, you know, because, of course, when you see a picture like that of your friends without you being included, I mean, you know, that's gut-wrenching. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's really subtle, too. It's not like saying, ha-ha, you weren't there. It's just not tagging the person and waiting for them to notice and be devastated. And I have to say, this is one of those times when I'm really, really happy that I'm older because my self-esteem is set. You know, like if I had to grow up with this kind of instant judgment, it would be a whole other ballgame. I can post a picture of myself on uh, on Facebook and Instagram and get three or four likes and not be devastated. But I can totally see how a girl who just grows up with that. Oh, you know, what's interesting is one of the things she talks about in the article is that in 
their profile description, they put tags of all of their friends. So it's actually part of their profile. And then you'll take out people if you're mad at them or you'll add people. And that's such a status thing to be able to like list people as your people. I, look, I totally did that. I <laughs> will be the first one out there. I, I'm sure I have friends from high school listening who are like, yeah, that was you too. Um, but we didn't have Instagram. So we had like the BFF. Like we knew we were BFFs and it was writing notes to each other during class and who was passing notes to whom and that kind of stuff. It was so different than having it public and silent. You know? Well, it also feels like, you know, when, when you did that and when I did that or had it happen to me, which I think we probably all did, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't public in the sense that you could see that you were left out and you could go home and cry to your mother or you could do whatever it was you were going to do or plot revenge. But it wasn't so public that everybody else saw that you were dissed by your friend. I mean, and that, I think, is such a huge... Um, a huge public shaming, you know, I mean, that's got to hurt. Listen, I got to tell you, I was away this weekend. I went to somewhere really cool. I was posting pictures on Instagram. And I was, like, obsessively checking Instagram to see how many likes I got on my picture. <laughs> I am perfectly self-confident woman with a, you know, very successful career. I was checking every 30 minutes. Ooh, who liked my picture on Instagram? Aren't they awesome? I can't even imagine, you know, going on Instagram and seeing that my best friend had a sleepover with someone else and did not invite me yeah Yeah. it just magnifies everything so much yeah my girls saw that there was a camp bat mitzvah they're they're like in the bat mitzvah age and there was a camp bat mitzvah that they were not invited to last weekend the weekend before and the only reason they knew was because not it's not like the whole bunk was there but a couple kids were there and they you know one of my daughters said this person had a bat mitzvah i guess and we weren't invited and i said i've never heard you say that person's name you've been at camp for four years are you in the bunk with her she's like no she's just in our age group i'm like i've never heard that name before would you have invited her to yours She's like no i'm like then (laughs) like if it had been one of her good friends i would have felt terrible but i didn't even know who she was talking about and it didn't matter. She saw these pictures of everyone having fun, and it looked great, and you you feel left out. In the old days, she never yeah, would have known about it. You don't know. Yeah. And I mean that, now it's Instagram now, but it was Facebook a few years ago. I mean, that's exactly what was happening on Facebook, is that girls were seeing how they were left out, or people were doing public party invites and not inviting certain people. So, you know, I mean, this article is really eye-opening for a lot of people on how uh, girls are using Instagram, but I think that all of social media is kind of... Uh, being used in this way and the question is really is it a mean girls thing is it plotting is it revenge is it devious I mean this whole in the article they talk about trading likes I mean basically well I like yours if you say this about me it just seems so um, you know premeditated well there is a part of the article that talks about that and I always think this is fascinating because it's actually something I think can be very positive for people now um, is that they are creating their brand, which is so silly to think of a 10 or 11-year-old girl creating their brand. But I do think in some ways, never in history have you had the opportunity to really shape your own persona, public persona. I mean, I know as a blogger, being very aware of what I put out there, I call my blog my living resume. Like, you don't need permission to publish your stuff anymore. You don't need permission to put up a podcast. You don't need permission to put your photos up and have a thousands of people see them and that can be very liberating too and very creative so I think the question is how do you take the impulse of these girls which is to put up photos you know share with one another talk comment on one another's and make it a positive thing 
And a few years ago, and I'll find the link to this, a mom blogger who saw that the beauty contests were going on on Instagram where people were putting like a collage of, you know, six pictures of girls and then you were supposed to rank them and then each time someone got knocked out. They were so awful. And so she started a campaign with her daughter and her friends that was only positive. So they had to post a positive thing about someone else, like you are beautiful and put up, you know, a picture of yourself or those were you had to leave six positive comments. And I know a school did that recently for Giving Tuesday. What they had the kids do was give compliments Mm, as Giving Tuesday. Yeah. And it helped. It actually changed something going on because they realized they could be positive and get the same reaction as being negative. That's great to put to turn it into a positive, but I feel like with just like so many other things with tech and with social media, it all starts offline. It all starts with the girls having good self-esteem offline and knowing how to behave offline, and it it that will lessen the impact of what's happening online. Like, for example, a few years ago on Facebook. I actually saw that somebody I knew pretty well had a Christmas party, and it seemed like she had invited every single person I knew except for me. And I I could have very well had a pity party and said, what did I do? Why does she hate me? But I realized it was probably an oversight, and I never, ever, ever would have even known about it if it hadn't been for Facebook. So I just kind of brushed it off like, okay, she forgot, whatever. You know, I'll I'll give her a call next week to make sure that I, you know, we're we're still in touch. So if you have that basis offline, then I think you're okay online. Yeah, it's hard to ten. Yeah, or I was 11. just gonna it say is. you're secure enough to think, oh, it was an oversight, whereas a ten year old would be crushed to pieces. Yeah. Because also that would be the topic du jour at school the next morning. And you're crushed at everything at that age, by yes. everything at that age. Yeah. It's it's really hard. But I, I just think that we can't think of it as like an online thing. You know, it has to be built up offline. Right. right. Well, a- online just tends to amplify yeah. what happens offline, right? So, And you can't escape it. Yeah. It used to be you could kind of go home and brush it off. But like you go home and then you're looking at the phone or the iPod and you're seeing those Instagram feed. I mean, the only question, the thing you can really do is talk to your daughters about how artificial so much of it is Mm -hmm. and fill their time with other stuff like that's the other thing is I always wonder about these kids who have nothing to do except look at everyone else's Instagram feed like they've got to be having plans with other kids and going to get a hobby take a dance class yeah do something this this article also really focuses on girls but you know boys use Instagram too I don't know if they use it in as mean and hateful a way and what kinds of pictures they post and it would be interesting to delve into but I think that this really applies to kids in general but one thing that struck me of that whole you know analog to digital world and again this is something that you feel left out if it doesn't happen to you but the whole kind of um, online like a locker decoration for your birthday you know where people used to run to school or go the day before and decorate your locker for your birthday and of course you walk in and you're all excited I don't know I didn't do this I went to school (laughs) in the city we didn't have lockers I was gonna say (laughs) lockers what are lockers we didn't have them but my son did in school and you know the girls would all go and decorate these lockers well now they're making these Instagram collages and posting them for someone's birthday so of course if you don't get one or you get a terrible one again devastating it's so true I remember at my high school um, like some of the fundraisers would be not just Valentine's Day sending a flower to someone but also like at Thanksgiving you could send a pilgrim and you know whatever (laughs) it was and it was the same thing right you sat in your class and you waited to receive and it wasn't just a boy sending you one or if you were a boy or girl it was actually friends too you'd all make deals with each other that you'd send each other the things and it's all it's total social currency kids will always find something that will be social currency 
and this is a new thing. It just is. And I think parents just have to get their head around it and actually not make it worse by making this huge deal about it. Because I do knew parents who like then reached out to the parents of those kids and said, why weren't they invited? And, you know, you can be a parent making it a thousand times worse and saying to your kid, like, that's life. You're not going to invite everyone to your thing or, you know, whatever. Kind of help to help your kid roll with it a little bit. Yeah. And to Amy's point, I mean, I really think it's about teaching, doing everything you can do as you would normally as a parent to give your kids really good, solid self-esteem and to point out that this isn't the end of the world and also to really guide good behavior, you know, and, and kind of empathetic behavior and show that, you know, you don't treat people this way, whether it's in person or in a public forum. And I think that it really, it does start at home with a conversation and and guiding your kids. And also modeling it because I know that I can get kind of bitchy online. And were my daughter to read that and then go through this, I wouldn't have a huge defense. So, you know, that's a problem. Yeah. I think it's also not modeling the fear of missing out. Yeah. Um, because there's a, there's plenty of that in the adult world. Plenty, plenty. And, um, and, you know, and then there's the whole, like, not feeling like you're measuring up. You know, Halloween's like the worst time to be on Pinterest ever. <laughs> because like, you're just going to feel like such a failure. Um, there's that, too. I think, I think social media has put pressure on everybody because all they see is the best of the best. You know, these kids are just seeing this beautiful photo shoot from the birthday. They're not seeing everyone who is also, like, bored or throwing up or (laughs) whatever happened you know they don't have perspective my daughter went online for her last birthday she wanted a frozen birthday party and she hit instagram and sent me all these pictures of these amazing things and i was like sweetie that's what that person does for a living right like i would have to not work for a month to learn how to do all that and get it ready for you so they just don't have the the perspective yeah and that's so that's i mean that's always true right that's the bottom line all right we're wrapping up that (laughs) topic and I'm going to say like so part of it is our kids are always online in some way because mobile has made it so easy I think kids are just having more and more screen time and maybe parents aren't considering all that and that leads us to this whole idea of tech in schools where now your kids are also getting screen time at school Um, and recently LA canceled their very giantly touted, you know, huge PR press release last year for their $1.3 billion iPad deal to give iPads to every child in the LA school district, which is the second largest school district in the country. Um, New York being first by almost double, um, almost triple, I think, actually. Um, And at the time, I think the outcry was more about is this where LA should be spending their money when they've had these extreme spending cuts for all of their schools? Um, I know my nephew's school in LA doesn't even have gym. They lost their gym teachers, but they were buying iPads for every student. Um, And now they canceled the contract, not because they actually think it's a bad idea, but because the FBI is looking into how the contract was awarded, since the one who awarded it had very close ties to Pearson and Apple. Um, and I've realized that it wasn't really a transparent process, and obviously a whole lot of shenanigans probably went on. At the same time, an article came out in New York City by Scott Stringer, who's our comptroller. Is he the comptroller? Or he's the public advocate. I think he's the public advocate. Um, no, Tish James? Is Tish James public advocate? advocate? Oh, no. He's either comptroller or public advocate. He's one or the other. He was Manhattan Borough president, longtime supporter of the New York City public schools. Um, and he discovered that he did a very small sample, which was what was even scarier about it, that all these schools had no idea where their technology was. 
huh. that there was sounds like my house yeah sound there was computers just unaccounted for no one could find any of them there were closets of ipad stolen boxes well you know you i when i read this i was thinking of uh, you saying something to me last year of schools yeah. i'm not sure if it was your daughter's school but yes it, closets full of ipads that's what i call them ipads mm-hmm. because the teachers weren't trained in how to teach with them and nobody knew what to do with them they just spent all their money and bought everybody an ipad and they had no money for apps they bought well, all these iPads with no money for apps. Like, I, I'm guessing that all three of us are in favor of tech in schools. I mean, my, my son is learning how to code in his class in, in middle school. But I don't quite get how giving each kid an iPad helps. And, and uh, like, has anybody tried to explain that? No. So that is the crux of the problem, right, is that there's been this rush to outfit with the tech, but no professional development for teachers or understanding how they can be implemented into a classroom where you need it, where it actually supplements what's going on instead of as many teachers use it as a reward hmm. um, or, you know, as some other kind of distraction. I mean, I used to say every time I got an email from a teacher that said, send for my iPad, I wanted to kill somebody <laughs> because <laughs> I'm like, that's what she's doing on it. Like they, have, they had no idea what to do with them. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So going back to tech in the schools, and yeah, I mean, I think we all three are big proponents of that, but I think that part of this, and there's a, there's a number of questions here, but obviously my first question is, would this have been a big, a big deal and, and, you know, had this guy been more transparent about his relationships with Apple and Pearson? Would this be a good thing? Would, you know, would it be turned around and say, this is great, we're giving every kid an iPad, we're spending money, and you know, in the L.A. school district, there may be a heck of a lot of kids who don't have technology at home, who don't have access to laptops, and who don't have iPads, and who are missing out on learning what, uh, what your kids and what your kids and what my kid learned in school in a different district. Um, so I'm kind of in favor of that. I am in favor of that. But more to the point, I guess, is is there a plan? Is there a plan to know what are we doing with this? Or are you just handing someone an iPad and saying, here you go, you know, go play um, Master Chief. Right, or I, go watch Khan Academy. Yeah. Just watch a Khan yeah. Academy video. I, I agree with you, but why an iPad? Like, there there are companies producing those $100 hand crank laptops for third world country students. Like, why not those? That seems like it would be a lot more usable for somebody who doesn't have tech at home than an iPad. Well, you know, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, why not a Chromebook? I mean, they're really, yeah. so you, you know, Toshiba's got a fabulous new Chromebook. I think it's something like $300, incredibly powerful. But don't forget, it's all app-based and you need to be connected. Yeah. So now you're talking about if kids don't have computers, maybe they don't have connectivity. Maybe they don't have broadband. You know, Well, they're maybe- not letting them take them home in a lot of times. A lot of times these iPads stay in school. So you have a device, but it's not going home. Well, with then, you. what use is it? You know, if you're not going to be able to go home and write your report or your research project. Well, on what it. you couldn't do on an iPad anyway, right? Like, you so there's two different cases. One is you want to be having better computer classes in school. That's mm-hmm. one thing. You want to teach kids how to code. You want to get them ready. You know, give them twenty percent. I mean, I know my daughter's tech classes were useless. They learned how to make brochures for four years. My girls can make a brochure like nobody's. I, would totally I should put them on like Elance. To, to make a brochure. <laughs> no, maybe it is a good. But that is what they did. They didn't learn how to code. They didn't learn anything else except how to use PowerPoint to make brochures or whatever they used. Um, 
so there's that that's annoying, I think, is that the tech classes themselves aren't really necessarily taught by tech people. So there's a curriculum where they're just making things using the computer for other classes, particularly in elementary school. And then there's the issue of giving access to the internet and learning how to use computers for kids who don't have that at home, which is huge in the public schools, huge in New York, huge in, you know, when you have 75% of your kids getting free lunch, qualifying for free lunch or reduced lunch, you're talking about a tremendous amount of kids at the poverty level. But if they're just iPads in the classroom with no thought behind it, you say to yourselves, okay, but these kids, I know as a parent, I'm asked to bring in paper towel, toilet paper, Lysol, packs of copy tissues. paper, tissues, copy paper, markers, pencils. Mar- I mean, if my school doesn't even have that, but then there's $40,000 to suddenly buy an iPad for every st- – or whatever it is. It's, that seems it like seems an out-of-whack priorities. Um, so I think then the question is – it looks like bells and whistles, but why? It's like parents, it's like teachers who have smart boards and just use them as whiteboards. They have a $5,000 whiteboard, basically. Yeah. That happens all the time because you have older teachers who are very intimidated and you don't have the professional development built into the purchase. And that's a so, problem. So maybe is that one of the answers is maybe not spend as much money as they spent and use some of it on development, on training teachers or bringing in, um, you know, people who can actually teach the kids what to do with these? I think so. I mean, I think training teachers is the key to every time they introduce anything new. Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't have teacher buy-in, you have a closet full of iPads. Because at the end of the day, you can buy whatever you want for a school. If the teachers don't want to use it, then it doesn't get used. I mean, you know, and there's a lot of people who... um, will ask me just, you know, because I do a lot of education work, oh, we'd love to get into the New York school system, which I think is always <laughs> hilarious when they say that. Like, yeah, um, because we have this great, or why don't why don't the teachers teach math like this? Or why don't the teachers teach science like this? And it's like, do you know what it's like to talk to a room full of teachers and say, you're going to do something this way? Like, that, that's an impossible situation. And so I think when you're talking about iPads, which there might be just resistance to begin with, you know, if a teacher's older, doesn't have familiarity, or doesn't know what to do, it seems like a crazy waste of money to me. But then back to the fundamental question, do you get iPads for the school or Chromebooks for the school or whatever when you don't have gym teachers or when the library doesn't have a librarian? You know, what is more useful for a school when you're still asking the parents to bring in tissues and paper towels? No, absolutely. And I think that's the question that is not asked because everyone's scared of being left behind with technology and technology is a very easy thing to purchase and then point to if you're a company giving a grant, if you're Bill Gates, if you're whatever you are, Bloomberg, if you want to go to a school and point to it and say, look how advanced our school is or look how we're keeping up, it's very easy to point to a lot of kids on iPads and laptops. Even if they have no idea what they're doing or how to use it. Yeah, even if it's a photo op. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm all for teaching kids how to use technology. And I think that any kid who doesn't have it at home is, is seriously being left behind and should be learning in school how to use technology. I mean, I say that about parents who, you know, at the age of five have never let their child touch a tablet or a laptop or anything because I think that they're doing them a big disservice not teaching them those skills. Um, and I think it's something that kids need to know. But do we need to spend all that money when you have to bring your own tissues and toilet paper? <laughs> you know, then I think it, it, be, it begs a bigger question. Right. And I do think there are schools doing it really well. So I think probably the answer is to look at those schools and then pilot those programs. Like that's the other thing the schools don't do well is learn from each other. 
And there are schools, I know there's a school in New York City. I mean, it's been a laptop school for 20 years. They're obviously doing something right and integrating it the right way. So it doesn't seem like they have to reinvent the wheel. Like they need to learn from each other and then figure it out and then figure out economically <laughs> how to make that happen while also getting physical books and paper and pencils. And It would be really great to have like Girls Who Code or somebody partner with these schools and say, we'll come in, you know, we'll be mentors and come in and teach your kids. So my daughters stuff. have Girls Who Code at their school. It's after school. Okay. So it's voluntary mm-hmm. and it's after school. And I'll tell you something so interesting. It has a stigma. My daughters who have taught themselves how to code online don't want to take that class because hmm. they feel like we know who's going to be in that class and I don't want to be with them. That's what it's like. I'm like, what does that mean? And they're at a school for math and science. It's not these beautiful t-shirts. <laughs> it's still weird. Even at a school where it's math and science so focused and it's still they're worried about Interesting. it. Do you, do you think it's because it has the girls who code stink on it? Like if they just offered it to everybody? No, they've. My girls have always said they didn't want to take a computer coding class because it, they'd be the only girls. Hmm. So I'm like, oh my god, perfect! Here you go, girls who code. And they're like, yeah, now we know who would take that. I don't want to be in there. I'm, huh. like, I'm gonna kill you. And now it's like, oh, it'll be too beginner. It'll be too. Be- I'm like, you, you know nothing. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you know, it's weird. Yeah. It's a great organization. I really love Girls Who Code. Well, to put a more positive spin on the tech in schools thing, um, I just remembered that a a 13-year-old that I know just started at a school where all of their textbooks are on an iPad. Now that I think is I wonderful. Love that. Oh my gosh! I mean, my my two kids they don't have that, and their books, their, their bags are so heavy. Well, like so that's pounds. a great thing. Yeah, I think if everything can go on that or on a Kindle Paperweight, yeah, like, something. But oh yeah. yeah, then then you don't have all of the other issues of of everything else that comes with yes. with getting the tech. Just put it on a Paperweight. Yeah, great idea. Yeah, I don't know why that's not done. The, the that would be and listen when they get to college. Wait till you start spending all those money that money on textbooks, which are hugely expensive and right you know while my son was in college was well some educators were figuring out you know we could put out a book every year which is awesome and make money every year because you have to buy the fourth edition and not the third edition used online or you could do it online and you could update it easily and it doesn't cost any money that's why they don't the way it it does (laughs) yeah but but i mean it's so much easier to update if you're in a kind of class that's growing like a computer class for instance you can update that and give new access to it in such a more um, cost-effective way. Now, you know, the guy who's writing the book and the publishers aren't going to make as much money, so it's a big stink. But, boy, I'm all for that. I think every parent and every student's for that. There's actually a great – I'll put up a link to it, but there's a great Planet Money podcast all about why textbooks are priced the way they are. And it was really interesting because the – I don't want to go on this tangent. But anyway, it's because the professors have no interest in keeping costs low. Mm-hmm. because they're not the consumer and they're the ones assigning the book. There's some like economic term for it when the person who's making you buy something is not the person who has to has any stake. Um, yeah, that's a whole other topic, that's a right? Whole other thing. But school like, systems then you also look into the ties with, you know, the people who write that book. Well, it's still true too because even in our school systems now, like the New York City school, I mean, getting a textbook contract like Pearson and McGraw Hill and there's only 3. There's only there's a total monopoly and they it's a huge business huge business and they they still are selling that that's why they introduce new curriculums every five years Hmm. all right we're wrapping that up so we're for tech in the schools 
but not the way they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. And we think lots of programs should come in and mentor and teach these kids. I do. I think yeah. they should teach the teachers is what I, I really think. Um, okay. So we're going to move on to our digital dilemma of the week, which um, it's funny. I think this comes up on my Facebook feed at least once a week. Kids using their devices while they're sitting in the restaurants. And this came up this week because family vacations coming up. And this only is a problem for us when we're on family vacation because my nephew and niece bring their devices to every meal we go to. We take a huge family vacation, like 14 of us, and my daughters are not allowed to have their devices at a meal. And then I give in. And they let them because otherwise they're just staring at their cousins who are on devices and I'm and being antisocial and being antisocial. And it's really actually not fair to them because if the kids all sit at one end and the adults are on the other end and the half the kids are on devices, they have no one to talk to. They, they can't even talk to somebody. So it's awful. I hate it. Have you ever talked to the other parent about it? This is a relative. Yes. Um, <laughs> we Awkward. have talked about Awkward. it. And I think now that their kids are older they're not little so i i am i feel like i'm the reverse of how i am normally so remind everyone how old your girls so are. my daughters are 12 my nephew is 11 and my niece is nine and my other niece is six i so normally i would say restrict screen time for littler kids and you kind of give more permission as a kid gets older i feel the reverse at mealtime Mm. I feel like at mealtime, the three-year-old, give them that iPad, let them watch Elmo. <laughs> they're going to make it through the meal. But at 8, 9, 10, they have to talk. They have to make conversation and eye contact and be a part of the meal. It's so – it just gets weirder and weirder the older they are, I think. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Now, I, I, I'm just thinking, you know, I've been now to restaurants where I walk in and I see a family with kids and I'm like, oh, you know, I really wanted to eat here and it's expensive and I wanted a quiet night with my husband and I'm not sitting next to these kids. And then all of a sudden I'll see one of them pull out their iPad and they're so quiet and they're just watching a little video. And I think I want to go over and thank those parents for like trying to, um, you know, think about other people and be considerate and give their kids something to do. Now, would it be better if they were all talking to their kids? Sure. But are, is a four-year-old going to sit through a meal quietly? Absolutely not. So, you know, I am one of those people who is all for keeping kids entertained in a restaurant. When my son was little, we didn't have this technology. We used Play-Doh. I mean, I had a bag with Bert yeah. and Ernie and <laughs> Elmo and Play-Doh, and I'm not even going to tell you. Toy you cars. Know, now I see these, you know, handheld Nintendos, and I think, my God, I totally missed out on this in my life. But, you know, the, the fact is, at some point, kids need to learn to socialize, and they do need to learn to talk to each other. So I do think there's a difference between restaurant meals, where you do want your kid to be quiet a little, and a big family gathering, where there's cousins and aunts and uncles and you know, you want your kid to socialize. So I think that there's a little bit, you, you you can certainly talk about restricting screens at the dinner table so long as you're doing it yourself. 
Right. And being right. a good role model. Well, now, are you talking about at the family dinner table? Like, I... I oh, no, no I, devices at the oh family gosh, dinner yeah, table. Oh, my gosh. No way. I've no heard way. people have this debate like it should be a debate. There no. are people who let their kids bring cell phones and devices to the family dinner table at home, and that blows my freaking mind. No. I don't. Not. I don't understand it. Now... I don't even answer my regular phone. No. No. It's yeah, dinner no, time. No, I let it ring. Yeah. Sacred. Yeah. When now in, in restaurants with my kids, my kids are ten and thirteen now. Now I have a, it's just a rule: you can't whip out a phone. You you just can't do it. And I get very aggravated with my husband if he checks his BlackBerry when we're all out to oh, eat. Oh, he has a BlackBerry. He does. Isn't that quaint? <laughs> so does mine. Yeah. So does mine. I, it's, I think it's adorable. <laughs> That's um, funny. He also has an iPhone, but the BlackBerry is for work. On the other hand, that's if we're all out. And if I'm out with my daughter, devices don't come out because she doesn't have one. So she she actually wants to talk to you. On the other hand, every single time I'm out with my son and it's just me and him, we are buried in our devices. We don't want to talk to each other. We're both on the same page about this. And I feel like he has proven at this point that he can be sociable. So, yeah, if we're alone, forget it. That's so funny. Like, to me, it reminds me of one of my good friends in college had a boyfriend who read the paper, like, in front of his face <laughs> when you went out to brunch. I mean, it was so rude. And it's just, like, the same thing to me. Like, it's one thing if you both got to brunch and you decide we're splitting the paper right. up. I'm getting, yeah. you know, this section, you're getting that section, we're going to read it together. But he used to just, like, put it up like a freaking wall. <laughs> and and I feel like the phone's the same thing. What I worry about with the kids is that it becomes this norm where then they don't know how to make conversation with their grandparents, with their aunts, with their uncle. You know, they don't know how to make eye contact. And you see a lot of that or just this expectation. Like, I also understand it as like a meal extender. Like, you've gotten to the point in the parent, and the, you know, the adults still want to hang and have a drink or have coffee or whatever it is. And you're kind of like, all right, now you guys can get on your phone. But I agree with you, Andrea. Like, if I'm in a home and it's a family gathering, like it's Thanksgiving... No. Uh, no, no, no way, no way. And no. we're we're like we're we're tech lovers. I don't understand. Yeah, I I, I don't get it. I now, don't I, I, there is actually one exception to that. I just said that there was a no tech rule at our table, but this has been a point of contention for a decade. On weekend mornings at breakfast, my husband props up his phone and likes to read the paper while we're all eating. And I don't know why I have this mental block. If he had an actual newspaper, we get the New York Times on the weekend. If he had the newspaper there. I don't think I'd have a problem with it. So that is why That's I started so getting the newspaper. That is exactly why I realized my daughters don't know what I'm reading when I'm on my phone. Huh. For all they know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on whatever. They don't realize I read the paper. No, he's on the New York Times, and the New York Times is in the bag in the hallway. Right, but they don't know that. So I, so this is so not about this digital dilemma. <laughs> so about something else. <laughs> Off topic. But... Um, Reach Out and Read, which is this amazing literacy organization, they have all these studies, right, that kids who live in poverty don't have a book in their home. And that one of the ways that kids learn to read and learn literacy is being read to, but also seeing other people read. Hmm. We are now a generation of parents who read on a Kindle or a tablet, and our kids, to them, that's just a screen. They are not seeing you with a book in your hand. And the long-term effects of that are going to be very interesting because they do model behavior really young. And I realize my daughters don't see me reading the same way I saw my father reading. And we had walls and walls of books, right? I grew up, we had a library in our house. like we, And I would just 
pull whatever off. I, I read such inappropriate stuff, but it didn't matter. <laughs> like it was all there and I'd be pulling it down and reading it. My daughters, I mean, I have my books, but I don't have the same amount of books anymore. We have called them. We have gone through them because everything is digital. I just realized that. Isn't that that also like today, kids, you know, there's no differentiation for kids because all their content, movies, videos, TV shows, books, now textbooks are coming into them digitally. So I don't know that they really differentiate that screen time of, oh, you're reading a book and that's a positive thing as opposed to my Instagram, which is a negative thing. I don't know that they make that correlation. Now, my husband, it's interesting, Amy, does the same thing. He's got his New York Times app. That's it. I'm like, I can't believe we're paying this every month, but he does. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I know he's reading the Times when he's sitting in the chair in the office. He gets up from the desk and physically moves. He's either there first thing in the morning or late at night, and he's sitting in the kind of recliner chair reading his iPad. I know he's reading the Times. That's just like the mode. And I think my son gets it. He knows dad's reading the times as opposed to you know um playing words with friends with my mother or whatever else he might be doing but here's an interesting thing we were away this weekend so going back to the restaurant situation we were with families you know it's always very kind of do you say something do you not say something and we were going out to dinner with 17 year olds and i thought oh this will be interesting we're in this nice restaurant the only person who whipped out their phone and took pictures and started posting on facebook was the mother of the 17-year-old, not the 17-year-old. Right, because the 17-year-old doesn't want to take pictures with his mother on Facebook. <laughs> she's so but excited. She's was, out with her son. He's know, like, so no, don't post that. that. There were no phones coming out, no texting, no emailing. It was really, you know, I kind of was like wanting so badly to grab my phone and see if I had any messages. And I didn't because he didn't. Right. Well, what about when you're out with your friends when there are no kids? Do you guys do the phone stack? where you, you put all the phones face down in a stack and whoever takes their phone first pays. That would be great to do because I have one friend who, honestly, I will talk to them and I look up and they are on their phone texting and going, uh-huh, yep, and I think, oh, that is so rude. Yeah, I actually yeah. have a case that has a cover over the screen. So I have my phone in case it like I get a text message and I have to check it, but I don't look at it when I'm out with my friends. Sometimes. Unless someone else pulls one out first, yeah. and I'll do like a check. Yeah. Occasionally, <laughs> or go will, to the bathroom and do a check. Well, occasionally there will be like four or five of us sitting around a table who are all bloggers, and we kind of get it. Like if we all just look down at our yeah. phones for five minutes, it's a kind of a mutual agreement. So if someone else picks it up, then you're okay picking it up. You yeah. just don't want to be yeah. first. Yeah, you don't want to be first. <laughs> you don't want to pay for lunch. <laughs> You know, it is such an interesting dilemma. Again, I mean, differentiating between good screen time, bad screen time, what's okay at home. And I think it goes right back to what we say each time, having conversations with your kids and explaining what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. If we're all at Thanksgiving, grandma's there, your cousins are there, it might be a good time to put the devices away and actually try to have a conversation, make faces, throw mashed potatoes or whatever (laughs) it was that we used to do when we were all sitting there at the kid's end. But Again, you know, when you're going to a fancy restaurant and you're bringing your kids, that's a time to kind of say, here you go, have at it. Elmo's, Ugh, just Elmo's don't bring yours. your kids to the fancy restaurant. Yeah, I, I know. Know. <laughs> That's a whole other discussion, but there's nothing I hate more than I got a babysitter for my kids and I go to a really nice restaurant and someone else has brought their kids. I just I feel like... I am so with you on that. Now, Leave I, me alone. I do have some friends who have some very well-behaved um, foodie children who will bring their kids and their kids will behave probably better than I would and they'll definitely appreciate the food more but those kids are rare so uh, you have to really know your kid and know if they belong in that situation and I think most of the time they do not and if your kids are again totally off topic 
you know, walking around the table that you oh and God. your family <gasps> are at in the restaurant and kind of marching back and forth no. around the table. Guess what? Yes, they are totally annoying to the people around <laughs> Yes, them. no one thinks it's cute. <laughs> They're not doing it quietly. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. We have a diner that used to be near us that closed and probably turned into a bank or something. But we... um. My daughters were so badly behaved one time with their friend. There must have been maybe three, and they were literally marching. But that was a diner, so we didn't really care. And they kept going up to the big, you know, there's like the big glass rotating case with the desserts yeah. in it. So, like, they were all like, you know, it was like they were like those little guys in the toy store where they were like, the claw, you know, they were like, the desserts. They were like <laughs> pressed crying. up against the glass. And the next time we went to the diner, there was a total sign like, your children must stay seated. Ah. I looked at my friend and was like, that was us that did that. Wow. Um, you left your mark They on were really cute. <laughs> they should have been happy about it. Yes, because the they were yours. were gross. Um, all right. Well, that's good for us. I'm going to wrap it up now and do... Is there so um, it would actually be great to hear some people's comments and, yeah. and you know how people feel about this and how dilemma, wrong we are because I'm sure that there's a <laughs> wide range of reaction to this yeah and also tricks if people have tricks other than screen time for keeping their kids occupied and happy at a table I think people need to share them you know what we always I, did stickers I have a great one there are a couple of restaurants that we go to frequently um, that are Italian places they give the kids pieces of dough when they sit down and the kids and I we do contests where I'll say okay now you have to make a car or now you have to make a flower and you could just like bring your own play-doh to do this but you know it's it's not pizza dough it's more fun <laughs> so that's what we do or we do napkin folding contests in nice restaurants contests are always good with kids yeah, anything where you can win <laughs> all right well Amy let's start with you for a recommendation yeah um so What's your bite? My uh, my recommendation is for a set of wireless headphones. Now, we actually have a much, much older version of these headphones. And we first bought them when our kids were very, very little. And we lived in a smaller place. And we wanted to be able to watch TV after the kids went to bed. And we wanted to be able to hear it with good sound. So we bought wireless headphones so that the kids could sleep. Now, fast forward about eight or nine years, we put them on the kids because if I never hear another one of my daughter's tween shows again, <laughs> I can die a happy woman. If I don't have to hear my son watching those stupid shows with the guys who pull pranks on each other, that's fine with me. So um, the, the set that I really like, because they're very simple and affordable, it's the Sennheiser RS120 wireless headphones. You can find them for under $60 pretty much anywhere. You can even get them for 50 bucks on sale. So um, do yourself a favor. I, I, I'm not one of those people who feels like I have to share the TV experience with my kids. No, put the headphones on them. Let it be their stupid experience. I feel like my husband's going to get those for me so he doesn't have to hear my ABC family shows, <laughs> <laughs> which is a whole other thing. <laughs> How about you, Andrea? You know, I was trying to think of what, what gadget I'd been playing with that has really... Um, you know, made me think, wow, this is this is cool and this is something that's really easy. And so I am loving the Amazon Fire TV stick. Ooh. And I like this a lot because now I'm, my mother um, is very, you know, trying to be tech savvy. She's got an iPad. She likes to watch things. And a commercial. And, <laughs> and in a commercial. Um, and, you know, I found out that she was watching... Breaking Bad on Netflix on her iPad and I thought wow that's amazing because that would kill my neck yeah. and I can't hear it but you know bravo for you for doing that 
And so I thought, how can I make this experience easy for her, but a better experience? And the Amazon Fire TV Stick is so easy because it just goes right into the TV she already has, as long as it's got an HDMI port, and it turns it into a smart TV. So now she's got streaming. Now she can do Netflix. She already has an account. You can do Amazon Instant Video. And it's great for kids because there's lots of kids' content. They've got the you know Kids Unlimited. There's a subscription for that, I believe. Yep. But it's great kids' content. It's a really inexpensive. I think it's like $39 uh, as a way to just take your TV and make it smart. You know, for any member of the family, it kind of gives you a little bit more. Um, and and the whole the Amazon Firebox itself uses voice recognition, so you don't oh, have to go great. scrolling. And you know, I have the worst time typing on that teeny remote. So you, can, you know, on the fire on the Fire TV, you use your voice and say. I want to watch The Hunger Games, and it'll show you all the ways you can watch it. So I love that recommendation because um, all of our TVs at our house are connected, but I bought the fire stick for when we go to my mom's house or when my husband takes the kids to his parents' house because they don't have Netflix and all that Ooh, stuff. That's so that's such a good yeah. idea. Yeah. I used to do that with our Roku box if we went to a beach house for a week. As long as there was Wi-Fi, I would take my Roku box with me. Right. Now the stick is just like carrying a little USB drive. Yeah. Yeah, that I'm totally doing that. Actually, Good we're going plan. to Florida. I'm totally doing that. <laughs> totally <laughs> buying that and bringing it. Um, so my recommendation is so not techie, but my daughters, we saw Mockingjay last weekend. And, you know, I think a lot about what my girls read and we have a whole thing about their literary diet and I call like you can balance your potato chip books with your <laughs> you know your your substantial protein meal um, and I feel like the Hunger Games are actually sort of in between where they're very potato chippy but there is I think no other modern heroine like Katniss where she is so the driver of the story and the gender roles are so flipped so we went to see Mockingjay, which I thought was awesome, part one, even though everyone else thought it was slow. I'm like, I loved it. Loved all the propaganda. I loved it. <laughs> um, so this weekend, um, I started watching with my daughters on Netflix streaming Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, great show. Which was one of my favorite shows um, because that's the TV I watch and continue to watch. Um, and I just was sort of thinking about like kick-ass heroines. And I think Buffy was actually a TV show that changed things for girls in general. I think it was the first show that proved that boys would watch a kick-ass girl heroine, which was always the thing that studios said was girls will watch boys, but boys won't watch girls. And she totally proved them wrong in a huge way. So we started watching Buffy, and we watched four in a row because my daughters <laughs> loved it, which I cannot see for Gilmore Girls, disappointingly so. They, they didn't totally, like it? They just kind of bailed on me with Gilmore uh. Girls. It just did not hold their appropriate attention. I... I watched all seven seasons again, but they did not join me. They would pop in once in a while. Rory didn't go to Harvard. Like, they were horrified. That's all they did. Um, but Buffy, like, on the couch, and my daughters never watch TV. It is not part of their life. They don't watch TV. They watch YouTube and read BuzzFeed. Like, that's what they do. So this was a huge success for me. I'm, like, the only parent in history. I'm like, yay, they watch TV. <laughs> I'm so excited. But I highly recommend, if you have a tween girl who has not yet seen Buffy, Buffy, man, it totally holds up. Joss Whedon, That's smart great. as ever. You know, because I always have such a, a hard time trying to get my son to watch a movie and say, you know what, this was such a cult movie. This was awesome. You know, Saturday Night Fever. Like, he, oh, to this day, on. refuses to watch it with me. And I say... <gasps> You can't go through life without having watched this. You can't. And But when you look at it now, the movies are so slow. 
the action is so kind of negligible. Oh, yeah. They're they're very they're not what kids are used to. That happened today. with the Goonies. I was so excited to show my daughters the Goonies. They were like, "When is starting?" And it <laughs> did. It took forever <laughs> to get going. I was like, "Geez, I forgot." It's slower. My kids watched the first twenty minutes of ET and bailed. Oh, I wanted mine too. to cry. Mine too. They they were like it was way too slow. You know the funny thing is we totally did not talk to each other about our recommendations before this, but they all get to get, go together so well because yeah. you can watch Buffy on your Fire Stick on Netflix <laughs> with the headphones on. This is just perfect. We just tied that up with a bow. It's all packaged. <laughs> That's <deal>. Perfect. <laughs> Well, thank you, guys. Thanks, Amy. Oh, Andrea. This was so much fun. We hope you join us again next week. You can check out all the things we've talked about today on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash parentingbites. That's B-Y-T-E-S. We'll have links to things we talked about. We'll take your questions, ideas for other shows, suggestions you might have. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what your dilemmas are raising a kids right now in the digital world. (laughs) 